Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing from the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. I'm Katie Nordbia. And I'm Janelle Feller. These are the stories of Alexandria Lowitzer and Susan Powell. Alexandria Allie Lowitzer was a normal 16-year-old teenager in 2010. She lived in Spring, Texas with her mom and older brother. Her parents divorced in 2008, and she still spent a lot of time with her dad. She was a sophomore at Spring High School and had a large group of friends. She was a well-behaved teenager. She played softball, sang in the high school choir, and although she had a large group of friends, she rarely socialized outside of the home. She would bring friends over instead. Allie loved art, animals, and music, and could usually be found in her room, drawing, painting, or listening to music, and of course calling and texting with her friends, so much so that her phone showed an average of 3,000 texts a month. April 26, 2010 started out as a normal day. Allie went to school and rode the bus home. On the way home, she called her mom and asked if it was okay if she walked from her house to the local burger barn where she worked to pick up her paycheck and to see if she could work that night. Her mom was hesitant about letting her walk the quarter mile because she had never walked it before and there were no sidewalks on the road that she would be walking. But she relented and said that it was fine. When her mom got home from work around five, Allie wasn't home. She figured she was able to pick up a shift. So she sent her a text message letting her know that she would pick her up when she was done with work. By 9 p.m., she still hadn't heard from Allie. So she drove to Burger Barn. When she got there, the lights were off and the doors were locked. There was no sign of Allie. She called Allie's phone and there was no answer. She called Allie's friends and no one had heard from her. The guy that she was dating said that Allie hadn't responded to his calls or texts. Her family searched all over town, anywhere that they thought she might be. By 11 p.m., they contacted the police. The deputy told them that she would probably, probably return by morning. Her family spent the night searching. By 9 a.m., the next morning, they contacted the police again. Allie was listed as a runaway, much to the, to the dismay of her family. Allie had no history of running away. She left her makeup, money, and phone charger behind. She was also looking forward to planning her best friend's Alice in Wonderland-themed birthday party. She wouldn't run away. Being listed as a runaway meant that there wasn't an, an investigation early on, and there also wasn't an Amber Alert issued. Can I... I didn't know that. I didn't know that they wouldn't list an amber alert for somebody who was suspected of running away yeah but the truth is is they don't know they don't nobody know. knows and i think that for an amber alert to be um issued they have to have known that they were actually taken i think or or had incapable to, of leaving too young to leave on their own right uh, that um i might be wrong about that but there has to it has to fit certain criteria to have an amber alert listed well, it's upsetting because the that there's no investigation to start with. Because as time goes by, um, there's evidence that's lost and trails that are, you know, um, that disappear. Right. It, it just doesn't, and especially since this wasn't a kid that had, at least in the past. Yeah. And um, I, I just didn't know that they didn't put an Amber Alert out for a, a 
a kid that was missing, regardless of the reason. Right. And so early on in this um, investigation, it was the family who was doing a lot of the investigating. Her family spoke to the bus company, and they saw on surveillance that Allie and two boys got off at her normal bus stop on Low Ridge Road. The boys stated that she walked in the opposite direction of them towards Burger Barn. The manager at Burger Barn said that Allie hadn't been there the day before. Security cameras at a nearby gas station showed no sign of Allie walking to the restaurant. Because her phone had GPS, the family was able to obtain where it pinged last. It appeared her phone had either been shut off or lost power near the edge of a neighborhood and wasn't sending out pings anymore. Her last text message to a friend was sent at 2.57 p.m. the day she was last seen, and the phone stopped all communication at 3 p.m. In May 2010, her family reached out to the Laura Recovery Center, which helps find missing and abducted children. They helped hang up posters, they conducted interviews door-to-door, and organized searches using scent dogs, ATVs, and searches on horseback. The dogs did pick up Allie's scent, but they were unable to, to determine if it was new or old, and nothing came from it. The family hired a couple of different private investigators, and one of them was convinced that Allie had been trafficked. There are stories out there about this, but I couldn't find any that were actually verified. In 2012, the private investigator brought up a possible suspect, convicted killer Brandon Laverne. Laverne was accused of killing two women in Louisiana, and his white truck had been seen in Spring, Texas when Allie went missing. He also had ties to the area through his family. A witness came forward and said that they saw a girl speaking with someone in a similar truck around the time Allie disappeared. They were able to get a couple numbers off a license plate and it matched Laverne's. His truck had been found burnt 50 miles from Spring. Police questioned him, but he was able to give an alibi that was verified by his former employer. Laverne is currently serving two life-term sentences at the, at the Louisiana State Penitentiary. There are still theories that Allie may have been trafficked, and investigators have tracked down every lead but have found no sign of, no sign of her and they vowed to not stop looking. In 2019, her case was moved from the missing persons division to homicide due to the length of time she's been missing. There's a new cold case deputy working on it. Alexandria Allie Lawisser was last seen in Spring, Texas on April 26, 2010. She was 16 years old when she went missing. She would be 26 now. She is described as Caucasian, 5'2", and 145 pounds. She has brown hair that had been dyed red, she has blue eyes. She has a chickenpox scar on her forehead, and she had pink braces on her teeth at the time of her disappearance. Her ears and nose are pierced. She was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, a gray hooded sweatshirt, black and white checkered skinny jeans, black sneakers, and a multicolored backpack with dark straps. She was carrying a blue LG AT&T slide phone. Her nicknames are Allie, Alex, and AJ. If you have any information about the disappearance and or whereabouts of Alexandria Lawitzer, please call the Harris County Sheriff's Office at 713-274-9100. I have a couple things that upset me about this, and one of them is, is that they didn't declare her a missing person until nine years after she went missing. Uh, yeah, and I, I actually couldn't find when they actually declared her as missing. Um, I'm not sure when that actually happened, but it sounds like it was a while. After. Nine years. Yeah. Um, so, do you know how big Spring, Texas is? I've never heard of it. So, 
from what I found on the internet, um, in 2010, the population was about 54,000. Oh. Um, and it sounds like it's a suburb of Houston. Okay. So it's, it's a, it's a metropolitan area. Yes. Um, which just means that there's all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. Yep. I was thinking, I, and I was just thinking it was a small place and, uh, um, you know, the mom had concerns about letting her walk that quarter mile. I just can't even imagine. And, um, and she was a teenager and had not 15. I think you said she was. She was 16. 16. And she hadn't done that before in her, in her, in her life, uh, by herself at least. And, um, then, then she does it and she winds up missing. I I just, that you would just never forgive yourself. It makes me angry that there's not an Amber Alert put out for every child. Regardless. Regardless the reason or the suspicion. Yep. Because that's, there's so many times in the stories that we've read that this has been, that this has been the case. Mm -hmm. Is that law enforcement, that it was assumed that they were a runaway and, and then their, their trail is lost and they are lost. Mm -hmm. The chances of finding them and returning them, even if she was a traffic victim, that's all the more reason to start now. Right. And they don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Well, and for something to have happened so quickly to her that she sent her last message at 2.57, and then her phone was not sending any communication at 3 o'clock. You know? And I mean, it's that's, a, it's that, a that's quarter terrifying. mile. It's a quarter mile. Yeah. She was, she, those, the boys were dropped off at the same place that she was, and she starts walking. And there's somebody that I, I just, there is, is, is just an opportunist. And the person that you talked about at the end who was in the penitentiary, mm-hmm. the, the burned vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, that was one thing that was interesting in the story, too. It wasn't clear when they found the burned vehicle. I'm assuming they found the burned vehicle before he was thought of as a suspect. Yes. Um, that was that they, it didn't say right like maybe it, it was sounded like that at, because yeah at some point before right. any of this was really pointed at him basically um, but it showed that he was in the area mm-hmm. it corroborated that he was in the area at the right. time right and the one way that you could get rid of DNA information I mean I think would be burning it right. uh, because it would destroy all evidence yep and maybe there was more looked into about him and her having there was a if there was a connection there, I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that he was in the area. Yep. Even though it is a it is a metropolitan area. Yep. Um, that his vehicle uh, burned up, and um, and they had connected his some numbers from his license plate to the vehicle, that a vehicle that was there, and there was a a girl talking to somebody in the vehicle. Right. Right, so I, I don't know. I, it it seemed pretty suspicious to me. Well, it, it, it does make some at, at least a loose connection. Yep. This though is a perfect example, and I think that growing up in the Midwest, and I maybe being female, maybe being born in the generation that I was born in, but um, I have a compulsion to be nice to strangers. It's a compulsion. It's not. I was taught that way, um, and and it was it was it was safe when I was a child, but today, mm-hmm. 
today, that's not how we deal with strangers. I don't care what it is. Mm -hmm. I don't care, male or female. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You ignore them. You walk away from them. You, And if you're wrong, you can apologize later. But there is no reason that an adult needs help from a child. Mm. Period. Mm. Yeah, and I've, I've tried... That needs help. Yeah, I've tried to instill that in my child. Like, an adult will never come to you on the side of the road asking you to help them do something. They just won't. Somebody with good intentions will not do that. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are, what car they drive. Mm. Um, you leave. You do not even stop and talk to them. You. This is... This is not about, uh, this is self-preservation. Because a predator will use that to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And and I don't care how old you are, I don't care what it is. If if somebody stops you and you feel uncomfortable, you just turn right around and leave. There's no reason. You're allowed to be rude, you're allowed to be awkward, you're allowed to scream, you're allowed to do all those things. Right. And uh, allowed to take pictures of license plates, allowed to interfere in a situation that you feel isn't right. Like uh, like a car that stops up and talks to a child because, because, um, yeah, there's just, there's, I, you just could, you could excuse your child for being rude and walking away, ignoring um, a stranger. Absolutely. Because in this day and age, it's just, it's not safe. No. And and it's not just for it's not safe for children. It's not safe for adults either. Right. We have to be mindful of that. Yep. But that compulsion and I I think it's just Midwest manners mm-hmm. pretty much. But um, if you had grown up if you grew up in Boston, you know, where you would have been taught from a very young age that you never you don't look a stranger in the eye, you don't ever address a stranger, you don't these are the things that this is how you get by. Right safely um that wouldn't be such a problem maybe but but i I really even today i still struggle with it and you can you can apologize later if you're wrong and you pitched a fit um you were rude or and i'm not saying just scream at somebody right in the face but no but but if they're relentless and they won't leave you alone and you turn a hint don't come closer don't don't get anywhere near Yep. Because, um, yeah, yeah, there's not, there's not a good, there's no reason yep. um, that they should need your help. And if they do, you can yell it from the sidewalk. Yep. Susan was born to, in Oregon to Charles and Judy Cox. She was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly referred to as LDS. She studied cosmetology in Tacoma, Washington. In November 2000, Susan attended a dinner party hosted by Joshua Powell. They were classmates in the LDS Institution of of Religion course. Susan and Joshua were married in April 2001 at the Portland, Oregon Temple. Susan was 19 and Joshua was 25. Joshua had earned a bachelor's degree in business from the University of Washington. Joshua worked for a number of companies over a period of years and Susan was hired by Wells Fargo Investments. I have to interrupt you for a second. Okay. Um, I knew that you were doing this story, and this morning I happened to turn on Dr. Phil, and um, he was actually doing this story back in 2012 when 
when this whole thing happened. Um, and that was airing today. Mm-hmm. It was a rerun today. So I sent you, so I decided on this story last week. Yeah. I sent you the links that I had used, that I was going to use last week. Right. And I had never heard this story before. Um, I, it's interesting what, I think how and why we choose the stories we choose. Mm-hmm. And so I had gone through and I have, I've done every story of every missing person from my home state of South Dakota. Um, and I have, and I have been grabbed, I have gravitated towards, uh, the Midwest, the upper Midwest, uh, for stories. And I, I just, I find a state that I find a person whose name or picture is interesting. And then I research that person to see if there's any information there to share, uh, if, if there's any documentation. Um, and that was how I chose this story was that uh that that there was there was something to tell so i had never heard this story before and it's a terrible story it's a terrible story i had heard this i I have heard this story before but it's worth retelling because she's still missing she's still missing joshua and suzanne moved in with joshua's father stephen in south hill washington after they were married Unbeknownst to Susan, her father-in-law had developed an obsession with her. He recorded her as she moved around the house. He used a mirror to spy on her as she went to the bathroom. He stole her underwear, read her journals, and posted some love songs to her under a different name. In 2003, Stephen told Susan about his amorous feelings, of which she was unaware. In 2004, Susan and Joshua moved to West Valley City, a suburb of Salt Lake City. Susan was the main breadwinner for her family. She became frustrated with Joshua because of his ongoing relationship with his father, his outrageous spending habits, his controlling behavior, and his refusal to attend church services. By 2007, the couple had two boys, Charles, born in 2005, and Braden in 2007, and they had filed for bankruptcy, uh, declaring $200,000 in debt. In July 2008, Susan recorded a video of the damage that Joshua had done to their home after an altercation. At the same time, she wrote a secret will that she she secured in a safety deposit box at Wells Fargo under her name only. In the will, she wrote that, "I I want it documented that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage, and if I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Susan had started a separate bank account because Joshua was so controlling over over the money. She reported to her friends that she was saving money so that she could leave Joshua. She planned on leaving him on April 6, 2010, their 10th anniversary, if their marriage didn't improve before then. On December 6, 2009, Susan, Charles, and Braden attended church and had visitors at their home until about 5 p.m. Susan wasn't feeling well, so she went to take a nap before supper. On Monday, December 7th, the entire family was reported missing. Neither Susan nor Joshua showed up for work, and the boys were not dropped off at daycare. Concerned about carbon monoxide poisoning, the West Valley City Police broke into the house. They found a fan blowing on a wet spot on the carpet, Susan's purse, wallet, and ID, but there was nobody home. At 5 p.m. on Monday night, Joshua and the boys show up. He said that shortly after midnight, he left Susan sleeping, and he had taken the boys on a camping trip to Simpson Springs in western Utah. 
The temperatures at that time were well below freezing with a mixture of rain and snow. Law enforcement was not able to confirm that anyone had camped at that site recently. He said that he didn't call into work because he didn't know what day it was. It sounds, it's just so suspicious. It's December. It's, just... it's December, and, and it's December. It, they leave after midnight. It's not like they're at no way. Yeah. That that just there's just no way. And and um, but they weren't able to determine if there was a site listed if if they had camped at that site. On December 9th, the investigators searched the Powell home and vehicles. They found traces of Susan's blood on the floor, a life insurance policy for Susan for 1.5 million dollars and a handwritten note expressing fear for her life. They also found a trace of blood from an unknown contributor. Susan, Susan's phone was found in their van, but it was missing the SIM card. When Joshua turned his phone over to the police, it was also missing the SIM card. A week after Susan disappeared, he hired an attorney. A month after Susan disappeared, Joshua packed up the boys and moved in with his father, two brothers, and sister at Stevens' home in Puyallup, Washington. He also emptied Susan's IRA account and canceled her chiropractic appointments. Shortly afterward, the website susanpowell.org was launched. It was described as the official website of Susan Powell. The site contained anonymous entries that defended Joshua. Post reported that Susan had run off with Stephen Kocher, a journalist who had gone missing the same week as Susan. In late 2010, Joshua and Stephen Powell claimed that Susan had abandoned her family, ran away with another man, and had a mental illness. None of these claims were supported by any evidence. However, it caused the investigators to look more closely at Stephen Powell. Through a family friend, they found that Stephen had an unhealthy and sexual infatuation with his daughter-in-law. They seized his computers and found 4,500 images of Susan that were taken without her knowledge. On September 22, 2011, Stephen was arrested on charges of voyeurism and child pornography. Investigators also found that Joshua's brother, Michael, had sold his broken-down car in Pendleton, Oregon, shortly after Susan's disappearance. Sniffer dogs found traces of a decomposing body in the trunk, but the DNA was inconclusive. Chuck and Judy Cox filed for custody of Charles and Braden the day after Stephen was arrested. The court granted them temporary custody of the children and ordered Joshua to move out of Stephen's home if he wanted to regain custody. In late 2011, Joshua rented a home in South Hill, Washington. He also underwent several court-ordered evaluations. They determined that Joshua had adequate parenting skills, but were concerned about his ongoing criminal investigations, inability to admit personal shortcomings, overbearing behavior with his sons, persistent defensiveness, paranoia, and narcissistic traits. I'm sorry, but that just seems like a huge, huge concern. I don't know, adequate parenting skills. I feel like those but disqualify you from having adequate parenting skills. Ongoing criminal investigations, um, inability to admit shortcomings, overbearing behavior. Paranoia. Persistent, and then narcissistic traits. I just... It was recommended that Joshua have visitation with his boys several times a week under the supervision of a social worker. 
in January 2012, investigators discovered 400 images of simulated child pornography, bestiality, and incest on Joshua's computer. The images were not illegal because they were hand-drawn or computer-generated. This concerned the mental health evaluator who ordered a psychosexual evaluation and polygraph test for Joshua. He also suggested no changes for Joshua's scheduled visitation with the boys. Again, just another injustice. No changes? No changes. uh, Just because they weren't actual images? Uh, I think... I think that because because partially because they weren't actual images and waiting to see what the psychosexual evaluation said or I I do not know. I mean just red flags why don't everywhere. We just, why don't we wait until after these evaluations come back to determine if there should still be visits? Just to be on the safe side. A week. Yeah. A week. Those little boys' lives are too valuable to allow any of this. Yeah. Any of this. On February 5th, 2012, social worker Elizabeth Griffin Hall was scheduled to do the supervised visits for the Powell boys. At this time, Charles was seven and Braden was five. When they arrived, Joshua grabbed the boys and locked the social worker out of the house. She called 911. She could hear the boys crying, and then the house exploded, killing Joshua, Charlie, and Braden instantly. The coroner found that both children had chopping injuries to their neck and head. A hatchet was found next to Joshua's body. Charles and Braden are buried at the Woodbine Cemetery next to a memorial for their mother. On February 11, 2013, Michael Powell, this is Joshua's brother, committed suicide. He had been listed as the benefactor um, of Joshua's estate. Okay. And it's believed by law enforcement that he was involved in the in whatever happened to Susan. Sure. And that it's suspected that it was his blood that was the the that was found the at the house site okay. at, the, at the home in the in the carpet. Sure. In March 2015, Chuck and Judy Cox won a court battle over Susan's estate with Joshua's mother and sister, Teresa and Alina Powell. The Powells had fought to have Susan declared legally dead so that they could collect her life insurance. The Cox family were able to maintain control of her estate. The Cox family also sued the Washington Department of Social and Health Services. They also pressured lawmakers in Washington and Utah to block visitation rights for parents under investigation for murder. The fact that there even even has to be a petition for that is just about insanity. It's insanity. And I wonder if if it's possible in our state. If you, I mean, we should look into it. We should. I mean, I think everybody should look into right. it because we it's it's too late now for these boys. Right. And let's not make that same mistake again. Let's not let a loophole allow for something like that. Right. Stephen Powell, Joshua's father, was released from prison in 2017 after serving seven years. He died of a heart attack in 2018. Susan is still missing. Susan Marie Cox Powell would be 38 years old today. She is Caucasian, 5 foot 4, and weighs 130 pounds. She has brown hair and blue eyes. She was last seen wearing a long sleeve black shirt and black dress pants.
If you know anything about the disappearance of Susan Powell, contact the West Valley City Police Department at 801-963-3462. I hate this story. I do too. I hate everything about it. I hate everything about it. I remember hearing this. I remember when this happened. I got happened. goosebumps. I literally have goosebumps over my entire yeah. body. I remember when this happened, and it was just the the level of injustice on so many different levels is, and this wasn't even that long ago. I mean, it's not like this happened in the 90s or the 80s. No. We should have had this figured out before this any of this ever happened. But I would say that we still don't have it figured out. We still out. don't have it figured out. We don't have it figured out, and I, th I think that there's, there's several things. Like, she... She put up with this crazy behavior and um, scary behavior for years and years and years. And um, there's something about that that there's something about that 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 is really upsetting, and that we don't trust our own voice, our own internal voice that says, "Run." And don't look back. Grab those boys and leave. Mm -hmm. um, I, we don't listen. And I think that I think that women, I, I just can only say that I, as a woman, do not always listen to my voice. I have allowed myself to get into situations that were dangerous uh, because I was being, I didn't want to be called a name. I didn't want to be. Come I, off as rude. I, right, right. When today, at 51, I really feel like I wish I knew then what I know now because now I have a whole different attitude about it. If somebody wants to call me any name, that has to do with them. It has nothing to do with me. If they don't like my attitude, um, it, it probably doesn't have to do... It's probably not me because I don't have usually have issues with people. I probably have issues with some people, and and I'm not sorry. No, and people, sh we shouldn't be sorry. And I, we just don't trust our, our guts. She was living with just a, a predator, and the fact that he didn't change his relationship with his dad after his dad in, I mean, at least at that point, what they knew was is he had made songs, that he had confessed his affection, his 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 sexual interest in her that he didn't you know limit communication with his dad it just it just shows she was always going to be a second-class citizen in that household right and and th then she goes missing and the father is able to um remove these kids from the home that they knew and and move on with his with his with his dad, who had, who had ish issues at the very least, right. at the very least, um, it just it's just maddening. It feels like every step along the way, these children uh, suffered. Yeah. I think they were three and five when their mom died, and you know they went on for this in this craziness, yeah. and that whole the whole. The family's desire to, um, you know, seek the estate 
Susan's estate and declare her legally dead um, for their own personal benefit. It's just everything about it is awful. It is just strange. And it's just selfish. Yes. And I, I, it makes me so angry. I, I really. We can do better. We have to do better. We have to do better. Yeah. And and I think that we should take a look at each of our states and can can a can a parent who's who's being investigated for murder have visitation with their child, supervised or not, or not. Yeah. Because the supervised doesn't doesn't undo damage. That was a social worker. Yeah. That was a social worker who yeah. is who you know I th- I think of them as a little bit more like law enforcement in that they're they're prepared. They've seen some stuff. Right. They aren't. They know what to look for. They're, they're not caught to, off guard. Yeah. Right. Right. But um. And, but you can't, I think that you can't think like an insane person thinks. Even if he did all these horrible things, even if all of that was true, you could still never imagine him doing what he did that day. No, no. You could not predict. No. You could not predict that he would, um, but he had said to Susan at least that, that if, that he would take both of those. That he would take both of the child's parents. He had said that to her that he would, he would kill him and her, yeah. if she ever tried to leave him, and. Um, and he did, and but he took those boys, and, I mean the ultimate selfishness. And, such a horrific thing. I hate this story. Such a good story to tell, though, because it, it wraps up so much of what we do here. You know, it it really it, does. It well, really I mean, does. I mean, and I think that we do the, supervised visits, we deal with victims of domestic violence, we deal, we talk about safety planning, we talk about all those things. That right. Well, and I I think that it 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 does, and and <laughs> one of the things that it does though is that you know when somebody walks through our doors. And they tell us their story, and in our minds and in our hearts, uh, you know, those red flags are just um, flying. It's we're screaming about concerns in our inside our heads. Um, but when somebody has lived in that environment, you know, it doesn't start out that way. It doesn't start out awful. Right. It starts out perfect. Perfect. Yep. More than perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, He's charming and generous and kind, and but it it never starts out violent and scary yeah. because nobody would stay. It but, happens little little yep. things over time yep. that you excuse away. Right. I, my our my predecessor said would said that it was like a uh, it was like a frog in a, in a pot of boiling water. If the frog jumped into the pot of boiling water, it would jump right back out because you know, it would say danger, 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 and it would get out of that pot. However, if you put the frog in a pot of room temperature water and slowly turn that pot up over time, um, by the time the frog realizes that this is hot, it's too late. They can't get out. They're not able to. And that's the same thing that happens to victims of domestic violence is they've lost their ability in many ways to to leave Uh, they you know their friends and their family who 
have tried to help along the way are worn out and tired because she continues to stay. And and then add children into the mix. Right. And not wanting to harm the children or not wanting to break up the family or not wanting to put them in harm's way right. by leaving. Right. And I think that religion plays a role in, in this for many people and for many families is they don't want to break a covenant with God. But um, I would argue that if that if um, a, a spouse is abusive to you physically, emotionally, financially, psychologically, any of those ways, they've already broke the covenant. Right. And it's not safe for you anymore. Um, I yeah, don't know I, they were, I agree with that. They've already broken that. Right. There's no, there's nothing. It's, it was done. It was broken before you came along. But I also think that you can't underestimate the, the fact that if you split your income in half today, if you just split it right in half, um, and you have the kids, a lot of us would be homeless. Yeah. A lot of us would be homeless, and that is putting, that's putting, that's a risk that, that I think many mothers could not, would not take to put their children at risk, take them out of school, move them to someplace else. I mean, it it's significant and dramatic and scary. Yeah. And it feels like too big of a burden. It does. And mm -hmm. if you've been worn down over time, your self-esteem is shot, your finances, um, you may not have control over them, or, you know, your finances are in ruins. Yeah. It's not easy to leave. Yeah. I think the statistics say that it, it takes seven or eight times before somebody actually gets gone. That's probably not proper grammar, but that before so, uh, 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 a victim of, of domestic violence will attempt to leave seven to eight times before they actually make it. Yeah. And I don't know, but I, I think it actually might be more than that. I think so. So I told you how I find my stories, which is not exactly scientific. Um, how do you find the stories that you're going to tell? Um, my, my way of finding stories is not scientific either. Either, um, I usually find a state and go through a list of names. Um, a lot of times, I mean, there's so many stories to tell and it's so hard to pick because every single one of them deserves to be told. Um, but I think... It's hard to tell some of the stories because there's not a whole lot of information. Right. And so I usually find a couple names, write them down, and then research um, the people that I've found to see if there's enough of a story right. to, to, to tell during a podcast. I mean, every single person deserves their story to be told, but um, usually if there's enough information to really tell it. Do you focus on a certain area? Do you just randomly pick a state and just, just go? Yep. Do you? Yep. It's interesting that without talking about that, that we our our systems are similar. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I start with the state. Yeah. I'm also um I also follow the um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children on Facebook, mm -hmm. um and I mean they're posting photos every single day of um, missing people and missing children and so you know if there's names on there that we haven't heard before or mm -hmm. I haven't heard before or um. Just looking to see if there's a story about them. I really appreciate uh, some people have given us suggestions either personally or um, through this podcast, and I think that that helps. Um, 
uh, it puts us in, it's caused us to look at stories that maybe we wouldn't have looked at before because they were recent. Right. I tend not to go with stories that are really recent because yeah. they don't often have a lot of information. So I tend to yeah. go with stories that are a little bit, a little bit out. And, um, um, but I know that the stories that have been suggested to me at least have been recent. And I, uh, I notice, I feel like I stay away from stories about children because It's hard on my heart, mm -hmm. and um, I also find that I tend to, I'm drawn to stories of um, of people from the Native American culture because that's kind of what drew me into this um, interest area originally, and um, so I tend to I tend to be drawn to that, but. Um, yeah, it's just interesting as to how you get to where you're going. Yeah. Thank you. We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with information and articles used for these cases, can be found on our website at gong-podcast.com. <laughs> My weekly distraction this week um, are the best tweets from April. Even though we're in May, these are the best tweets from April. And they're not all of them because there were a lot of them. But these are the best ones that I found. These are the funniest ones. Today, I worked from home, ran 10 miles, homeschooled my kids, cleaned the house, made a delicious dinner, and got my kids to bed early. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you lie. Oh my God, Katie. We <laughs> did the same we have we did we did i can't believe that we have talked about <laughs> we've talked we have about the same ones well i'm gonna i'm gonna scoot back a little bit and i'm gonna just go back to to about 13 and and uh so that it'll be it'll be past the ones that you've done <laughs> but i can't believe that we've done that i've been i've been concerned that we're gonna come because we don't talk about who we're doing most of the time no i just you, knew this story i knew because you sent me the links before. right and i had i had picked them last yeah. week and i but and, usually we don't but even then doesn't mean you've necessarily looked at it right but we don't talk about who we're gonna do or where <laughs> they're from and so i was i've been waiting for us to do the same story on the same person sure and to see what um to see what we come up with but now we've got our we've got the same distraction well that's great you start and i'll finish okay are you sure mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i don't know why people say having a dog prepares you for having a kid because my dog never wanted to watch frozen 47 days in a row 40 what is that you know kids want to hear the same story over and over and over oh my gosh which which ones did your son make you oh my to? gosh um I, can't, I actually can't even remember the name of it because I think that it suspiciously went missing at one point after we read it like four million times. What about what about shows, movies? Um, Does he have favorites? Not really anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they're... Did he? He did, yeah. We watched um, VeggieTales. We watched every episode of VeggieTales. Over and over. Over and over again, which is fine. It's so cute. But it, you know, 
we can we can change it up a little bit every now and then. Um, You know, I it, it seems like the idea of watching Frozen, I don't care what it is, 47 oh, times, yeah. sounds like torture. Except that, and it sounds like something that a child would do because they, they like to hear the same stories over, right. they like to know, and um, they're not paying attention for part of it anyway. Right. And I, I want to say, well, that's so cute. Except for, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. I... Big Bang Theory. I, I can have Big Bang Theory on every day, yep. and and I I'm not sure that I'm really watching it, but I'm listening to it, or that I'm, but I can watch it. I will watch it, uh, and um, mine mine is Friends. I have I don't know how many times I've seen every single episode of Friends, and I'll do it again. I'll do it again, and I laugh every single time, even though I know what's coming. Yep, and I don't know why, but something about the knowing what's going to happen is somehow comforting. Yeah. Especially, especially in the world right now. <laughs> right. And after reading the things that we do, knowing what's going to happen in the end is kind of comforting. Right. Right. <laughs> These aren't going to be as funny too. I just want to. I just want to also say that that. But I'm tortured uh, in a different way because I don't have children. I only have a husband, who is mildly annoying in his TV watching habits. Because I'm forced to watch shows against my will, <laughs> and I do think that at some point it is it is a form of <sighs> I, I, I don't want to I don't want to be too dramatic, but <laughs> I've seen every episode ever made of how how it's made. It's a it's a oh, Canadian yeah. show, mm -hmm. and I've seen every episode. Yep. And when that music starts in the I beginning, know, honestly, it you just, just run. It just, I just <laughs> also right now, um, uh, the there's some of the, some. I'm not sure if they're loggers or swampers or there's something about the the reality show of oh, people yeah. who are either on the ice or in the ice or on the water or, or digging the gold, digging or, the gold, and yeah. and honestly, it, it is like it's like I'm allergic. I have an aversion. <laughs> To it when the music comes on, I hightail it out of there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When my son failed a math test before March first, twenty twenty, did you not study? Are you not paying attention in class? Do you need a tutor? When my son fails a month at math today, well, buddy, you did your best. It is so true. It is so true. Because you're not. You did what you could. You did what you could. Yep. Because now I'm the teacher. <laughs> and math isn't your favorite subject. No. No. Um, um, so your, your standards have changed. Now they have changed. Teacher. Yep. I did my best did my as best. a teacher. <laughs> and you did your best one, and, and, and we both came up short, but that's okay. And <laughs> good thing they can't evaluate you as a teacher. Right. I would fail. I'd be fired. <laughs> If you see my kid on Zoom in the same clothes he's been wearing the past five days, mind your own business. Our homeschool has a uniform. Honestly, I have a Corona uniform. <laughs> I've been wearing the same outfit since March 13th. I mean, the same version of it anyway. Oh my gosh, I I found I saw a meme about something like that, and it made me laugh. It's it's it. true. It's true. I and the hair the hairstyle is is it's very specifically Corona. When this is over, I will have to burn this, these clothes because I'm sick of them. 
Uh, if you wear jeans five days in a row, they become all baggy and it looks like you're losing weight. Follow me for more quarantine life pro tips. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true. I never thought I of know. that. And it's and, a little mood booster. And it frees up time. <laughs> it does. You don't have to do laundry. And you're saving on water. And you're saving on water. It's good for the environment. <laughs> right. It's good for your self-esteem. It's good for the environment. You save time and money. And money. Um, and so, and I think that since you just have a little boy, he's not going to mind wearing the same outfit oh, all week. Yeah. He's, he he's down with that. Yeah. Right. Right. You spray a little deodorant around. Febreze. Febreze. <laughs> <laughs> that would do. That would do. I mean, whatever you got handy. Right. And just uh, uh, up and down a couple of times yeah. and you're good to go. Right. Right. Because where are we going? Right. Right. You only see each other. Right. I mean, unless you have a Zoom call. Right. I mean, I can make this look okay. I can hide this. Well, I can hide the clothes and the. But you have to wear pants. You do most of the time. You should wear. You should wear pants. You should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great news! I got a hundred on my son's geometry test. <laughs> Good for you, Katie. Good for you. You get the gold star, does he? <laughs> uh, me. Good. <laughs> My kid can tell me all about a 24-minute episode of Paw Patrol in 56 minutes. Oh, my God. And that is true. That is, that is. Explain the whole story. Yep. Twice as long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's Paw Patrol. Don't they do the same thing every time? Pretty much. They rescue somebody, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Together. Together. Teamwork. Teamwork. Right. Today, our five-year-old is wearing a shirt that says Genius. But he put it on backwards. So, yes, homeschool is going great. <laughs> <laughs> How old? I don't know. Well, well five. He's oh, five. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Honest to God, I, I think you should make a shirt. Because it, it annoys me to have the, it on backwards. But right. make a shirt so that, that on the actual back, it's upside down or backwards. Genius. Yes. Just so that we can all wear that. Well, and so in the five-year-old's defense, too, a lot of shirts now don't have tags. Yes. And that's like actual, only... actual hangy tags. Right, which is how I, and if you have them for any length of time, it will wash out the, right. except for that, like, I know this shirt right now has, is, is tagless, except for it's got a tag on the side. Oh, like the that's, wash tag? Or yeah, what? that's like four feet long. I know. I it's hate so that. annoying. I know. I have a shirt like that too, and sometimes in my hand, my arm hits it. I'm like, what is that ruffling? What is that? Because I, I have it on post-it stuck in here. So I have it on inside out because I don't have a tag. <laughs> I need to know. I mean, I don't. At five, I don't know how they can tell. Yeah, I don't. It's hard for me sometimes. <laughs> I was living vicariously through my four-year-old's Barbie dolls because they were always doing something awesome, but now she's pretending they're on lockdown too. So even that's ruined. Uh, Gosh, can we just let the Barbies go do things? Let them. They're Malibu I Barbies. Know. Go to Malibu. Don't they have a Corvette for? I mean, they right? Have... They have a huge house and yeah. a pool. Oh, you have a huge house and a pool. <laughs> <laughs> huge yard. You right. got everything. You right. got everything. You're good. We've been quarantined for four weeks now, and my son hasn't stopped talking. I thought for sure he would run out of things to say, but apparently, my son is super resilient and can adapt pretty quick. Help me. <laughs> it sounds great. It isn't in real um, reality. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like a lot of things. It's like honesty. Right. Honesty sounds great, but I don't want honesty. Right. 
I don't, I really don't want it. <laughs> My four-year-old son walked into the kitchen naked and said, can you make me something to eat? Don't worry about me not wearing clothes. So I guess the quarantine lifestyle has no age bounds. Really. I hate him. Clothes? Where are we going? Well, who's going to see me? Right. You see me naked, big deal. If you have a large window. <laughs> on Main Street. And your child has their own phone and can videotape right. anything. It's not good. Right. It's, it's not just, good. just wear pants. Just wear pants. Uh, last one I have. Earlier today, my four-year-old told me, I'm glad you're my daddy for now. <laughs> Which is both the sweetest and most terrifying thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I once said that my husband was the best husband that I've ever had for now. <laughs> and uh, he seemed a little bit concerned I about that. I wonder why. But I like to keep him on his toes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> so in the same theme, going right down the same alley as Perfect. we did, um, I, 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 have some, I have some more to share. <laughs> uh, so um, we are done homeschooling. Now we're doing anger management. <laughs> Frankly, yes. it wouldn't be such a bad idea, and I it think wouldn't. I need it myself. Well, especially after these last stories. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, <coughs> so the, me, I serve dinner. Toddler, what's this? Me, lasagna. <laughs> Toddler, I no want it. <laughs> me, just kidding. It's noodle pizza. <laughs> Gimme. <laughs> it's about reframing. Right. Right. Reframing. It is. Absolutely. If we could all do that. Noodle pizza. <laughs> noodle pizza. <laughs> Which is exactly what it is. It is. It really so, is. And, and and I think that the best parents are good at reframing things like that. Yep. Because yep. Oh. Jeez. It's not lasagna, this strange <laughs> word I've never heard before. Right. Noodle pizza. So, we don't go to restaurants. Kids aren't signed up for anything. And we're just staying home during spring break. That sounds like my childhood. Right. Yeah. Exactly yep. like my childhood. Mm -hmm. You go out and play until dark. Right. We lived on a farm, so... Um, and literally, <laughs> until... Pitch black dark. Yeah. Till the street lights come on. Well, and I lived in the country. Yard so, lights. Well, the yard light. <laughs> it, it, we were still outside playing even yeah. after that. Um, last night, my five-year-old said a prayer for all the people in the world, including Africa, Asia, and Syrup. From now on, I'm only referring to Europe as Syrup. Oh. <laughs> it's so and cute. Syrup. So cute. So they cute. could come up with that all of that. <laughs> um... Normally, I would get annoyed with my kids asking Alexa 1,000 questions, but they're not asking me, so basically, it's the best day ever. <laughs> I think that's all that I have today, Katie. Uh, oh, wait, one more, one more. My, this is a five-year-old. Five-year-old. I'm pretending to do grown-up things. Like what? Being tired all the time. <laughs> Nailed it. How did they know? Uh, How did they know? That's it.